Hey everyone, welcome to the Prince of Peace podcast, where our aim is to help you live and love like Jesus. I'm Lauren Hlaud, one of the pastors of Prince of Peace. We're glad that you're here and we hope you enjoy. Grace, peace, and joy be unto you from God the Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. My wife Suzanne and I were watching a movie on BritBox before Christmas, a couple weeks before the big day, and it was delving into some of the ancient traditions in Europe around Santa, and the history as I remembered it was as bad as the movie was. It was a terrible movie, and the history was Pretty strange, too, that they were diving into. We didn't quite finish that movie, but it was one that got me thinking about the traditions of Christmas and a message that I like to share periodically on this Sunday about what stands at the heart of the season. Began years ago when I was visiting a pastor from a neighboring congregation when I was in my first church, and I went over to see him, spend a little time before Christmas, and I thought he, I had the more traditional of our two congregations. That was until I heard about what was going on there at that time. He was a bit concerned because their tree had fallen over in the sanctuary, and he said it was a really bad year for that to happen because there was already some controversy around their tree that year. It was the first year that they had put lights on the tree in the sanctuary. <gasps> And some people were not very happy about that. Well, this surprised me because we always had lights on our tree in our sanctuary growing up. And I thought, well, of course, everyone has lights on their Christmas tree in the sanctuary. It's the tradition. It's what you always do. I thought that it always had to be that way. So I was even more surprised when Suzanne was reading a little story. We had a little ornament on our tree that year that had a little book on it about the Christmas tree. And in that book, it said that the trees were not introduced into the sanctuary of congregations until 1851, when a young pastor named Schwann brought a lighted Christmas tree into his congregation in Cleveland, Ohio, and created quite a controversy. The congregation considered the Christmas tree to that point to be a pagan symbol. So this got me thinking about what we consider to be central to our Christmas celebrations in our time. The Christmas tree has been in the sanctuary since the beginning of time in my mind, but then I came to find out that it had only really been there since 1851. So what about some of the other things that we consider to be essential to our Christmas celebrations? How about the Christmas carols that we sing? We couldn't possibly have Christmas without singing Silent Night, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, and Joy to the World, right? Well, until the 1700s, Christmas had been celebrated without any of these carols. Joy to the World was probably the earliest, and it was a collaboration of Isaac Watts, the great hymn writer, and Handel, who was the composer of the Messiah, another great Christmas tradition that wasn't around until then. Hark the Herald Angels Sing was written by Charles Wesley in 1738, and The Great Silent Night wasn't written until Christmas Eve of 1818, when Joseph Moore gave the words to the organist of his church, Franz Gruber, who composed the music. 
how could we possibly have Christmas without singing Silent Night? Well, until the mid-1800s, people did exactly this. Probably one of the most controversial persons among Christians associated with Christmas is also one of the most difficult to pin down, and I'm, of course, referring to Santa Claus. found a helpful article written by a Lutheran pastor named Richard Bucher about Santa, and I'll share a few highlights for you now. Most people believe that Santa Claus is a descendant of the great bishop named St. Nicholas. There's scarcely any definitive history known about St. Nicholas except that he was bishop of Myra and Asia Minor, that he was cast into exile and imprisoned during the persecution of Emperor Diocletian and released by Constantine the Great, and that he died in Myra around 350. And in the year 1087, his body was brought by Italian merchants from Myra to the city of Bari in Italy, where his relics are still preserved and venerated at the Church of St. Nicola. The Feast of St. Nicholas on December 6th has been observed with great enthusiasm throughout Europe over the centuries, and this enthusiasm was due to many sightings of someone like St. Nicholas, who was said that he had distributed gifts to the poor at night through their windows, had fasted while a baby, had helped dowerless maidens, saved a city from famine, aided a ship in distress, etc., etc., Because of the gift-giving associated with Nicholas, it was held, especially in Belgium and Holland, that on the eve of the Feast of Nicholas, the bishop himself would come from heaven and visit children in their homes, giving gifts to those that had been good. Nicholas decked out in full ecclesiastical garb, bishop's vestments with a mitre and crozier, would arrive on a flying gray horse or white donkey, depending on the custom. In some variations of the legend, he was accompanied by Black Peter, an elf whose job was to punish children who had been bad. After the reformations of the 16th century, the Feast of St. Nicholas was abolished in many countries. Throughout northern Germany, for example, Protestants encouraged the veneration of Christkindl, the Christ child instead, who it was said brought gifts to children on Christmas Eve. Despite this new emphasis, St. Nicholas' descendants continued to appear in many places, especially among the Dutch. When the Dutch established their colony of New Amsterdam in America in the 17th century, where one Saint Nicholas, where one of St. Nicholas's descendants began to visit children once again on the eve of December 5th. One historian believes that when the English later took over the colony and renamed it New York, the English children began longing to have a kindly Sinterklaas of their own that would bring them gifts. But because the English Protestants did not observe saints' days, St. Nicholas moved his visits to children to Christmas Eve. And there's universal consensus that the person most responsible for shaping our American relationship with the person we know as Santa Claus is Dr. Clement Clark. Clement Clark Moore, a theology and classics professor at Union Seminary, who after meeting Santa in 1822, wrote the poem entitled A Visit from St. Nicholas, that begins with the now famous words, "'Twas the night before Christmas, when all through the house, and you know the rest. It was the Bavarian illustrator Thomas Nast who spent a significant amount of time at the North Pole that gave us the picture of Santa Claus now so common. Nast, the father of American political cartooning, drew more than 2,200 cartoons for Harper's Weekly from 1862 to 1886. Many of these were of Santa Claus at Christmas time. 
Before Nath, St. Nicholas had been pictured as everything from a stern-looking bishop to a gnome-like figure in a frock, he'd been, as he'd been pictured in the first edition of Moore's poem. Nast had certainly read Moore's 1823 poem, but from his visits with Santa, he shared with us some additional details, such as Santa's home at the North Pole, his workshop filled with elves, and his list of all the good and bad children of the world. So, even Santa, who we all know and love, didn't make visits to all the good little boys and girls in America until the mid-1800s. There are so many things that we associate with Christmas that we think must have been with us from the beginning of time that are really products of relatively recent history. Now, I don't think we should have Christmas without any of these things. I know that I consider every one of the things that I've just mentioned as gifts of the Christ child to help us celebrate his birth. Yet when we begin with them, we seeing them as central to our celebration of Christmas, well, then things can begin to get out of order. In fact, this can be said of a lot of things in life, can it? We begin to see some things as central to our lives that really shouldn't be there. In fact, the same might even be said of the whole celebration of Christmas. I'm sure there are many people out there who would say that I can't imagine life without Christmas, but lo and behold, Christmas itself wasn't even celebrated until the third century, more than 300 years after Christ was born. So the question then is if we can have Christmas without a tree, without our Christmas carols, even without Santa, and if we can even have life without Christmas at all, then why the celebration? Well, the answer, of course, is to remind us of what is essential to Christmas and to life itself. To remind us of what John tells us this morning. That in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him, not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life. And the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. Thanks for tuning in to the Prince of Peace podcast. I hope that today's message has brought comfort and inspiration to your life. Have a great rest of the week.